Welcome, Wheatland family and friends. Thanks so much for joining us. You're listening to Cross Reference, a podcast of Wheatland Presbyterian Church. I am Luke LaDuc, senior pastor here at Wheatland, and I am joined weekly by our co-host, Dr. Dan Spanger, professor of history and chair of the Arts and Sciences Department at Lancaster Bible College. As a professor of history, Dan is a bright mind and engaging lecturer, and as an elder here to our Wheatland family, Dan has a warm heart for the gospel of Jesus and our life together as the body of Christ. And I am thrilled to dig more deeply into the scriptures with him each week as we tackle questions, explore connections, and generally unpack the sermon from the previous Sunday. Along the way, we'll take a few side streets, a winding road or two, but we'll never be quite so lost that you won't enjoy the scenery. Thanks for coming along. Welcome, Wheatland. This is Cross Reference with Dr. Dan Spanger and your pastor, Luke LeDuc. Um, we are today talking about the sermon from this past Sunday, February. Would that that be the thirteenth? The thirteenth Valentine's Day. Dan, no, no. Isn't your whole world? Isn't your whole world yeah. oriented around February the fourteenth? So you know <laughs> what comes before it, and right. After it, and right. Yeah. Well, you know, I I have three daughters. Uh-huh. So, there you go. And and a wife. And so Valentine's Day takes on a very different. When I grew up in a, an all-male household, Valentine's Day was a corsage <laughs> for mom, as far as I knew. There you go. I didn't think there was anything outside of that. So we didn't do much. So it's very different now. It is indeed. Terry yeah. Lynn and, and, and I Terry Lynn and I celebrated with a Chick-fil-A lunch. So Ooh. the last of the romantics over here. Pretty fancy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, on a Monday, um, probably meant you waited two hours. Exactly. To get in. Exactly. Which is uh, apparently worth it for most people to get a Chick-fil-A sandwich know, because it's, they it's, will do that. It's amazing. Well, what's so funny is the line. Okay, this is not a podcast about Chick-fil-A, but the line was wrapped around. It's you, You've yeah. seen it. And, oh, there's, yeah. and I think that the dining room was open, but there's nobody in there. I mean, it feels like people have changed uh, the way they they haven't gone back to dining in anyway i right. don't know why we're even talking about i don't this. know what well, habits have changed but it's, yeah it's kind of it's kind of interesting kind of wish it would go back to something like normal but i guess that's what happens when there's a new normal that's right yeah and i i i, I will say though that i was waiting for some sort of a heart reference some sort of something in your sermon you just avoided the whole topic oh yeah of course yep i i tried. valentine anything yep. the the big uh the big thing is to not mention the obvious things. Oh, that's, I see. that's that's sort of the irony. It's it's that ironic, it's that ironic absence. I guess you might <laughs> call it. I don't know. You're, you're the ironic Presbyterian. That's right. It's good because there's not a lot of those. <laughs> I hope everyone caught that. All right. Um, so the you're working us through uh, Ephesians here, and I one thing that caught me in your um, in your sermon in Ephesians chapter two here was how um, you built up towards the end. And I, I didn't know, I think I talked to you already offline, what, what, you, what you meant by this, but I was really intrigued with this image that you gave us at the end. And I don't know mm-hmm. if it's fair, but yeah. I used that image to go back and sort of rethink through what you had given in the sermon. And, the, and there were a couple of different pieces to it which I thought were really intriguing. The one that sort of stuck with me afterwards was the idea that if we take, if we take Paul seriously, then what we see in the church and in Christian life is a construction project. Mm-hmm. This is a, a really rich metaphor and a lot yeah. going on there. Um, yeah. And, and there's, there's two parts. One, I want to just hover on the construction project for a minute, but then the other part is that it's a construction project of this building of something that would be a home into something that would be a temple. And that's a very yeah. complex transition, Yeah. Uh, which I think you, you rightly say Paul is getting mm-hmm. at. But when, let's go back to this, this construction project thing, because yeah. I think there's a lot, to, a lot to say about that, that if, if we're, we're looking for something that, as you said, is going to remain messy, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because that's yeah. what construction projects are. We've all done them. Oh, man. Yep. They certainly are. And I, I think for me, um, I, one of the things that Paul has to be doing is at like, this is just a base level. I, you're right. I didn't unpack that metaphor at all. 
Um, and part of that is because I didn't unpack it in my own thinking as well. And just, I see it there and I want to give, I want to throw something out there for us to think about, maybe not, I don't lead us in thinking about it, but like what we're doing here now is a, is a great example of that. I'm sure people all across Lancaster County on Sunday afternoon, Dan, were gathered around talking <laughs> about this. So, no, but um, one of the things that I think Paul is absolutely doing is saying brought, being brought into the household is not the end. Hmm. Being brought into this family is not the end. And you and I have talked about this um, in, in other ways and in other forums, but the idea that there is this telos still out there hmm. that, um, hmm. yes, God has made us all one family in Jesus, but that is only the beginning. <laughs> there, hmm. Now it is this construction project where family grows into temple mm. and then you get to reach back into all that imagery of and and that then frames uh the way in which we organize our life together as this family that there's actually work to be done and and all that that construction project metaphor evokes you know and there's a lot there luke i mean i think to to say to the world or to say honestly we have no intention of finishing this construction project. Mm. It's just a different way of approaching. Like, cause I think everyone say, Oh, you know, one of the problems of the church, it's just so messy. And you hear a lot of complaint and, and, and there's reasons to, be compl yeah. to complain about the evangelical church and its failures. Mm -hmm. But it always is said with such a way that, well, the church is really not, you know, it's really never sort of done what it said it was going to do. And that's a mark of its failure. But I think if you use this term construction project mm -hmm. and what you're actually is that messiness is actually a mark of its success. Right. Like, like exactly. in our, Right in, in what we're wrestling to do here, the fact that it's an unfinished thing is actually what we it's a good thing. It's a mark of, of it actually moving forward. And I like in any construction project, you know, those that have done them, you, you know that you have to go a lot further backwards to get anywhere forward. Mm. You've got to take a normal looking kitchen and you've got to you've got to tear it back down to studs and yeah. you know pieces in order to build it back up. So there, there's a there's a motion in the direction here which would say actually the messiness is, is the right thing. Right. Not just we expect it because we're broken and fallen. Yeah, that's true. But it's actually saying the messiness is the right thing. Exactly. And I, I think the other thing is, is it, you've done this, Dan. I know you have a, a long history of doing construction projects and biting off more than <laughs> longer than I'd true. like. Actually, yeah. yeah. But the idea that you start with never is the end point. Of, yeah, right. of, of your project. And I've often thought, I, I don't know what theologian said it, but um, Israel <laughs> in the wilderness, worship, worshiping at a temple, could never have imagined what mm -hmm. we're doing mm -hmm. today. I mean, they would have never had any imagination for what we're doing mm -hmm. today. And um, I think the only point I want to make with that is that keeps us humble and grounded and rooted in in the in the work that we're given to do in our own time in our own space to say we know we're working towards something that is still mm. out in the future and we're going to work faithfully and with all of our energy mm. with with what we know and with what god has given us but uh our imaginations are still probably too small for what god is actually doing mm. in us mm. and in his world that's really great. I, I I hope that settles on us because the the tension in our culture seems to be anxiety and frustration that things mm. aren't where they belong. Yeah, and then we use that as a as a basis for criticism. Yeah, rather than like as you say, it's you're probably I have a I have a colleague and maybe I've said this I can't remember I have a colleague here and he on the bottom of his emails he's got a little picture of a mountain which I could don't I could do away with that part but then he's got this words inside that said your thoughts of God are too human, mm. and I I I just think of that frequently like. I keep expecting God to do the kind of thing that I think is a really good work. Right. And then he does something that I would consider probably not a great work at all. <laughs> the point is probably because my blueprints are paltry compared yeah. to what it is he's actually yeah. doing, in which yeah. case I would expect to have to, to walk through sawdust and then somehow celebrate the fact that things are still disorienting. Right. But, but that's, that's God trying to teach us what yet he's doing rather than sort of meeting our expectations. So that's a, 
I think that's I think that's a life giving in a lot of ways, Luke, because it gives I us think it is. a new confidence. Yeah. And yes, confidence and freedom and energy to keep working. Yeah, I, energy. I was thinking um, now I do know who said this. Uh, it was N.T. Wright. So for well, all you had our, to say that uh, exactly for all of our N.T. Wright fans out there <laughs> uh, or anyway, you know what I'm getting at. But so N.T. Wright talked about the process of building a cathedral back in the medieval world. Yeah. And if you were a stonecutter working on a cathedral back in the, you know, medieval time period, you might spend your entire life cutting two or three big stones for this one small corner or one layer of a cathedral that would have taken hundreds of years to build. Mm. And um, just putting into perspective <laughs> that is, is a really interesting way to think about what we're doing together mm. here mm. as the church as well. Like how, mm. how, what, what is this stone or even just this one course of stones, what is its relationship to the whole is hard for us mm. to imagine. Yeah. Well, it's, it's even harder, I think, just because of our modern, world is we've got the habits built in of being able to get to things very quickly. Yeah. Um, we get an, you get an idea. I'm, I'm amazed as a historian of just cultural things, how quickly an idea can go to construction, production and use hmm. is shocking. I mean, it's, it's, yeah. it's head spinning because, you know, you, you can think of something, an engineer gets it, goes to CAD, boom, a company up in China has built it and you got it sitting in your of yeah. almost any shape and size, but, yeah. but, but to, to actually backtrack and, and say, the thing we're working on is the thing we won't get to see the end of, or the, the exactly. thing we're really interested in working on and building of real value is the one that we will only see as a functioning construction site when we pass from the earth in probably yeah. 10 generations. Yeah. I was, uh, I was in London in 2020, actually 2020 mm. and big Ben was covered up in scaffolding. I mean, they've been, That's I don't know how, yeah, I don't know how long they've been working it, but you go there to see this world famous, right. you know, this iconic piece of the London skyline, and it is just covered up on all sides <laughs> with scaffolding. You're like, oh, well, why did I even come? But yeah, it's, it's, I don't know how that relates here, except for the fact that well, sometimes we feel disappointed yeah. by what we expect to be a beautiful finished piece of architecture and but it's just not the case yeah yeah and if and to find you know find hope and joy you know in the mess is to say i'm willing to wait for this thing to be finished when god's yeah. called it finished yeah and i and i think if we if we go through even what this word that gets practical relationships that struggle in the church like like any family mm -hmm. that we're going to wrestle through we see the the pro we see the difficulty we're going through as the problem like yeah, we're not getting lost. And that's the actually no, that's construction. Mm -hmm. In which case, we we run into these sorts of things. I remember yeah. there was a, there was a story about the great. I think it was the 1660s, the great plague that came through London, and um, the Anglicans who were in control of the church and had a lot of political influence. Once the plague hit the center of the city, they left, and the Puritans who were you know a bit persecuted at that time actually ran into the city. Mm -hmm. they, they ran towards the plague um, to mm -hmm. care for the people that were dying. And of course, many of them died in the process. And there was this I, image I have of saying, I, I guess the whole value system was different there. One was saying, we have to be here. The church won't make it. And the other one was, no, us giving ourselves to the church is what God calls making it. <laughs> it's right. like, if the church is doing it, supposed to, that's actually what it is. They say, well, what if we die in the process? Well, and I, I would don't think they use these terms in that idea, but well, it's just, a, did you think you were going to finish it anyway? This is not. The point is not mm. to finish the job. The mm. point is to be part of it, wherever God calls you to be faithful yeah. in the middle of the construction zone. Right. So it just seems right. to me that we, we can relabel obstacles differently rather than as a, as a problem that's in the way of us getting it done is the problem is actually the thing we're doing. We're, we're, we're going and joining the construction project so that it's going to mm -hmm. be maybe pushing the metaphor too far on this. Well, just perhaps, hate it there. yeah, there is. And I, I think what you're saying leads me to think, um, when you have a place who disengages from the project and it doesn't have that long view of what they're doing, 
then oftentimes that's where the sharpest dissension right, and right. the sharpest, like if all you can see at that, which of course is why I think this idea from family to temple is so important for the health and life of the family itself is mm. that if you just pulled all these people together, this unity, let's say, and you dropped them all in one space and there wasn't this transformation from family to temple mm. that we see here, what a disaster that would be mm. in one mm. sense. Um, if there wasn't this telos, this goal that was outside of them and beyond them in a sense for them, for us as God's family to engage together. Yeah, you would expect a, a real mess. Yeah, and I, and I want to go back to that because that's, that's the other interesting part that caught me at the end, um, which again, I think was reorienting for me as I go back mm. and think about what you were doing beforehand in the sermon is this idea that the construction project is of a certain sort. Mm -hmm. And this idea of home to temple is really intriguing because it's very strange. I think you already made this point. It's very strange by, yeah. you know, and under Artemis here and the temple life is, is the thing that breaks up and defines the family. You serve the temple. It, it defines how the society works and culture. Mm -hmm. everything comes through that. And your family then reflects and imitates whatever that temple life is, the time you mm -hmm. spend, the finances you spend, the sacrifices you have to be part right. of. These become the priorities and the family life then, yeah. we would say, suffers, say, is defined by that. But right. when you reverse the angle on this, which I think that the Jews and the Pharisees really struggled to understand when Jesus said, destroy this thing and I'll rebuild it in three days, that, that the temple, which is the place where God meets his people, is actually the end of the project, and it's us as the unity of people together. So it's the family that's the priority, and it's our love together as a family that actually leads. Is it? Is I think you're right. Is a very stark reversal mm -hmm. from what they would have been thinking about the role of temples, right, and the role of those sorts of things that happen in society yeah. at, at the time. I don't. I don't want to get too lost in the weeds on this, but this discussion also leads me to remember some of the stuff that I was studying with Paul's metaphor of adoption mm. and, and um, adoption in that ancient world, in, in the Greco-Roman world, was often one of the main reasons that adoption happened. And again, I think I mentioned on this podcast at one point that it was often adult adoption, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. was to carry on the family's um, worship cult of worship. So each family would have particular ways in which particular gods that they would serve. And oftentimes, if there was not a male heir, then they would look outside of their family mm. to adopt in a, a male heir into that family. And one of the main reasons, one of the motivating reasons in that sort of ancient or first century adoption and around the first century as well, was to carry on the cult of worship to whatever particular right. deity they served. And I think you throw that on top of this. There's, I think somebody would need to do more study than what I've just done. But to me, that's an interesting, <laughs> that that would be something worth chasing. Uh, yep. That rabbit might be worth chasing as well. But yeah, it is a, it is a complete reorientation yeah. of the relationship to temple that Paul is right. doing here. And he's and doing it to both the Jews and the Gentiles. Right, that's right. I think right. is so fascinating. Like yeah. to the to the Gentiles in Ephesus, he's saying that old thing, pah, that that temple, this one of the ancient seven wonders of the ancient world has nothing on what God has begun in Jesus. And to right. the Jews, he's saying your temple has just been gutted. <laughs> the right. whole, all the walls have been torn down. And uh, right. yeah, so it's just really fascinating. I and that think. it's hard for us because we don't have temples in our life. We do actually, I, I think probably yeah. things that function very similarly. You mm -hmm. made a joking remark and nod to the uh, television set, which is yeah. a metaphor that's been a long time, I think. In right, yeah. Culture. But, but there are, but if, if we think rightly about temple, it is those things which orient and align your life around whatever those values are. And, and that's, mm -hmm. it's, it's not fair because temples do more than that, but sure. But I think there is that piece and that the, those priorities, whatever they are, come back to orient the rest of the way we relate to one another, mm -hmm. our, our time, our focus, mm -hmm. our attention, our priorities are all arranged by that. And so you use the, the image of the cornerstone, which I think is a, mm -hmm. is, is Paul's second metaphor. The temple itself is an orient. Right. Right. But then the cornerstone is the orienter of the temple. And yeah. we have that 
may, maybe not, we wouldn't use the word temple, but it right. functions in the same way that, that it's really hard to imagine, but their entire life is oriented around all the things that had to be done in order to placate temple responsibilities and manage mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. all had to be done right. So it wasn't right. like this, you know, I don't know, esoteric worship service, but it was, what do you, what time do you, and where do you go? And how do you spend your money? Right. And who do you relate to in society? Like all exactly. that orientation, which uh, what, what you're saying now is that you can't just do temple mm-hmm. the way that you're doing. You have to reorient your entire life. Exactly. And, and I think that's what makes it so hard for us to grasp the profundity of this idea yeah. of temple. Yeah. Because right. in the ancient world, as you're talking about, it wasn't just someplace you went once a week that was disconnected right. from the rest of your life. It was the orienting factor of all your relationships, all your way of being in the community, in the society, yeah. in the broader world, so much so that you would adopt someone into your family to continue to keep the family right shaped and culture centered on and and flowing out of that temple that you worshiped at and yeah i mean you start digging in around that and and this metaphor becomes even more profound with jesus mm-hmm. as the orienting stone the the and i think i read as i was trying to read a little bit about cornerstones in in ancient architecture one line uh, and i think i used it in the sermon was Every other stone is built, in, every other stone is laid in relationship, in relationship to the cornerstone. So it's every, every stone that gets added, every move that is made, it could be, you know, yards and yards away, but it is only in orient, in relationship to that chief cornerstone that's already been laid. I was talking to Joshua Keel after the sermon just to um, make sure <laughs> that, I that you're on the right track oversold it and he he said that's what he understands as well but of course now we have cad and it's different but right well maybe the metaphor would have to change but the reality yeah. doesn't and, and you right. made this statement that if if we build our unity on any other cornerstone then it's going to be oriented around those values whatever it is and if we're going from home to temple then our, as I think is this follows really beautifully from Jesus' own, own long prayer between John 15 mm. and John 17, that the unity and love of his people is the, is the point of this, and right. that Jesus takes on the death of the cross to secure the unity of his, which I think Paul's getting at, because it's, it's, the, it's the Hebrew and the Gentile at odds, his very work is indicated by the removal of whatever division there is, so mm. at the end of the day, we orient ourselves by his cross, his sacrifice, so that the building becomes the home and it's in our relationship that God dwells as a temple. Mm. And it, right. There's, I mean, there's a profound sweep of action going from family and our loving relationship to the presence of God being with us, Yeah, which doesn't sit well when a temple is somewhere that the gods may or may not visit on their own time or that Yahweh only mm-hmm. appears when the priesthood is present. Yeah. Those sorts of things. This is, this is a radically different yeah. version of that. It really is. I, I was thinking a little bit about, Going back to my babble, uh, the, the mm. stuff that I was walking through when we were talking about Genesis 13 and the Tower of Babel and how that ziggurat was connected mm. to the temple. And the reason it was is because it was a metaphorical stairway for the mm. God to come down and then go back up. And like how different mm. this relationship is. Um yeah, one of the things that struck me, and I, I said it in the sermon, and I think this is sort of the payoff, at, at least one payoff that really was driven home to me, was the idea that this is being built by God. Right. And that, that I, I had never, I don't know why, so I, I need to probably apologize to everyone who ever ordained me or had a hand in (laughs) ordaining me in the gospel ministry. But for some reason, I had never seen that turn uh, that Paul makes here from humans building temple, even the tabernacle and, and Solomon's temple, you know, God, God called them to do that and gave them instructions, but it was human hands that did it Mm. into this temple is something completely different Mm, and mm. and 
And that to me was very powerful about how eager God is to mm. dwell with his people. If temple mm. is mm. dwelling, as we're mm. saying, that's, that's right. how eager God is to do it, that yeah. he won't let us have any hand in it in a sense that he will make sure that this time it finally gets accomplished in the way in which he always intended it. So anyway. And, and this, I think you drew the contrast too, um, strikingly, I just, one of the things I wrote and read as I was thinking through what you were saying is that it's the, yeah, there's, there's two kinds. There's human built temples and God built temples and all the human built temples are a way of humanity identifying some specific way mm. for gods to interact with them. Yeah. And in fact, when God builds a temple, it's the unity of his people, yeah. which I think is a profound concept. Yeah. And, and you connected that back to this idea of the circumcision being made in the flesh by human hands, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which itself was a sacramental sort of thing, but it was tied just to Israel and just to, and that won't do ultimately. Right. Well, right. We know there's reasons why God had circumcision in the old Testament yeah. to build right. Israel into a priesthood, but ultimately all of that is in service to God's true construction work, yeah. which is the non-human hand building of the unity of his people by the Holy Spirit. Yeah, and that, that is profound. And, and as you were just saying, it's not that circumcision was a waste of our time, it, it, nothing like that, but that it was always going towards it was going, something. Right? It, it, it was never enough. And, and that's what I think about all of our human temple buildings versus this temple that God is building. We long for transcendence. That's a good thing. We long yeah. to be connected to the divine. That's a good thing. But God says at every point that, that our longings for him, our desire for him, it's always far too weak. It's never yeah. enough. Yeah. It always winds up going off in a wrong direction. Right. And his longing for us is what brings us home. And yeah. that's, that's, that to me is, is just a gorgeous comfort and a deep um, joy and also yeah, one of those things that gives us the energy to hang in there. Well, and to say that ultimately, and this goes back, I think connects back to something you said beginning of our conversation that our imaginations aren't big enough. Mm. Our, our longings yeah, maybe aren't deep enough. Our longings aren't even mature enough to, mm -hmm. to know. And so we we build temples by the longings we understand, which are which are good things in some ways. I mean, beautiful temples right. and yeah. music. I was just at a at the uh, Jane Austen concert last night at the, uh, at the cross that uh, yeah, they put I heard on. It was the gorgeous. I wasn't. It was really it was really lovely, and you know the performances were just beautiful. The music was just so beautiful um, that I could say, oh, I think that's it. I think that's enough. We can we can do that, and that's good. That's a that's a wonderful mm -hmm. thing. But it's not, as you're saying, it's not nearly as beautiful and rich as what God is doing because his longing for his people out passions, out deepens, out mm -hmm. wonders ours at, at every mm -hmm. point. And to your, to your point, I think that ought to give us real joy knowing that my longings are just too pathetic to make sense of this. <laughs> but but his, his are so powerful and so overwhelming and so accurate and so direct that it will create this without mm. fail. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, that's powerful. Yeah. It, it's so powerful and profound. And this is, this is what we are called to lean into and live into is his mm. longing for us. And that of course is so rich for us as a family to begin to um, really own in ways that maybe we haven't ever owned it before. And that, you know, that, that ties really wonderfully into other biblical metaphors that are used about Israel being the bride or the church being the bride, that really the, the, the bride is the one that's loved by the bridegroom. Mm. And mm. we as the church, we define ourselves by his love for us. We, we, are, we are made, identified, mm. directed by his love for us, which makes us a yeah. beautiful bride. That, yeah. That's just wonderful. I mean, it's, it's a beautiful yeah. aesthetic embedded in there as well. It really is. The, I, I think I've used, I don't know if it was in this term, but the, the way in which God's love reorients mm. uh, our loves and mm. shows out. Yeah, that's just a beautiful, beautiful metaphor. Yeah, it, and, it, and I, I think it, it does recreate sort of this space that we're in, that it's not something that we're trying to construct through this process. And then it's your vision or the elder's mm -hmm. vision, or right, this is what, right. and there has to be some of that because we have to manage. Of course. We're yeah. this part of the construction project. We have orders and rules and we're trying mm -hmm. the best we can. But I think what makes the church so successful, and I've, I've noticed this among Christians in my own life, is that what I 
love about them the most is whatever effort they put in, they always know at the end of the day, this is not theirs. Mm. It belongs mm -hmm. to him. And that doesn't mean we aren't energetic about trying to right. do it. We just yeah. know full well, whatever paltry effort we put in, God mm -hmm. and his desire for us and for his community is actually going to do something with what little we can make. We, yeah. we, 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 you know, I, I remember as a kid doing construction projects and I think back of every mess I made that dad had to clean up, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> things not level and not straight, right. but, but that's the raw material and there it is. And then God through his love turns it into something, into this kingdom that's so much yeah. more than yeah. what we can imagine it to be is it yeah, is, it can be very life-giving as, yeah. as we, we have to go through. Um, I, the, the one thing you've made this point, I think I want to come back to this connection is, um, is the idea that this temple being built and Jesus is the cornerstone includes the cross. Mm. Um, and you know, it, it's one thing yeah. to say, you know, God's the master worker and he's just off doing this abstractly. And, and, and there's truth right. that he's doing the spirit. We can't always know, but then we have yeah. these moments in scripture. Where we actually know exactly mm. what he's doing mm -hmm. clear about the fact. Yeah, that I, I am leading you into the cross that this, and we talked about the cruciform shaped life and a cruciform shaped mm -hmm. church and sort of, that the cross is the only way this gets done. That, that yeah. we say we're orienting the temple around the cornerstone. The cornerstone is a cross right. shape to it. About. Right. And can you speak a little about the role the cross plays in the building of this unity of the church? Yeah, I think to me, when Paul talks about Jesus as the chief cornerstone, this is the outstanding feature of that cornerstone being put into place is, and, and by cross, I think we have to say that that language is um, not just of the actual death of Jesus, but it's referring to his incarnation, his life, his death his resurrection, his ascension, all that the literary people would talk about synecdoche. So Paul says cross, and by cross, he means this all whole these big, too. yeah. So, and that got me thinking about um, the incarnation as this first move in being willing to come and become with us one of these mm -hmm. stones, but the chief cornerstone, of course, in his uniqueness. But it is, it is the cross that is the first stone laid and in Jesus, Jesus's life and death. And there's no other way, I think, to get around this, that if it is not the cornerstone, if the cross and blood of Jesus is not the thing that makes peace and kills the hostility, then the project that we're left building um, isn't really built upon peace and it isn't really built upon hostility that has been put to death. It carries with it something that's out of whack and we're gonna, we're gonna be off somewhere as we try to construct and build. And I, I think that's just an interesting metaphor for us to consider as we struggle with one another to live out this unity and also to just the real experience of what it means to be being brought together in unity in this family. Which has other, I think, other implications because, you know, if, if you wanted to choose a temple, let's just go back to Ephesus and you had a choice mm -hmm. and you got someone standing looking down the corner at the house where the home church is, mm -hmm. poultry little home with a bunch <laughs> of broken people that are infighting all the time. Mm -hmm. And then you got the temple of Artemis on your left and you go, well, one speak, they speak for themselves. That, that This right. temple is obviously something that's, and I, it's always been the Christian struggle, right? To, to choose the cruciform temple because mm -hmm. it is messy and it's really not mm -hmm. all of that attractive and it's not all of that, yeah. that wonderful. These other temples have so much going for them. Mm -hmm. You know, the Herod's beautiful constructions, another one of the great wonders of the ancient, yeah. of the ancient world in the Middle East. It, it's not compelling on that regard, but, but, and I think you're right, but you to, you, to look at the cornerstone itself and say, I am 500 miles from that cornerstone, but I will orient myself the same way by it knowing yeah. that the temple that will be built is beyond what I'm going to see. Yeah. I think, I think that's the, that's been the challenge for the church always because it, yeah. the, the, temp, the temple, i.e. the church has always been a bit of a messy, mm -hmm. uncomfortable thing. I mean, you know, Sweetland yeah. is, is a, is a truth, but it's, it's also <laughs> messy and difficult. Yeah. 
and it's not compelling by by other standards. Right. It really exactly. probably isn't as grandiose. Right. But it's in line, and then maybe this is what it comes down to. And this is what I what I was thinking when you were talking through it is, and as you just mentioned it, the question we ask ourselves is don't don't look at the grandeur of the temple as it is just now. Look at are we in line with the cornerstone? Mm -hmm. And and that takes faith to say yes, we are, and therefore yeah. what looks messy and what looks uh, is is actually right and will yeah. become the glorious kingdom of God. And that it's probably where faith becomes so so potent and so important. Yeah. And and I think the reality is, as I read somewhere last week, I can't remember where, that this shaping of stones is painful business. Yeah. Because you are working off. Of, and, and I think that's the other thing about the cross, Dan, that we can never get too far from, is that what Jesus experienced in a human body mm. was sacrifice right. and death. Right. And then resurrection, absolutely. But the, the, the leveling and the building of the foundation, the apostles and the prophets, as it talks right. about here, the Jesus as the chief cornerstone is death and sacrifice. Mm -hmm. if, what, what did they do to the prophets and the apostles? Uh, what did, you know, these, these are the foundations. This is the chief cornerstone and the foundation stone. And as Jesus in his own ministry said, if the world hates me, then the world okay. will hate you. And, right. and um, I, I, I think that that's one of the things that is, has to be recognized that what we're doing, yes, there will be pain and sacrifice um, involved that will very much feel like death. Um, mm -hmm. our, our, our ultimate death obviously is something that we can't look away from, but mm -hmm. there will be that we will experience a series of little deaths as we uh, follow Jesus in, mm -hmm. in, and are laid into this uh, family that is growing into a temple. It's hard mm -hmm. to look mm -hmm. away from that. Yeah, and it's, and it's hard to, it's hard to find it compelling at times. I think I, I keep going back to that word. I don't know in my own mind, just yeah, because I, I, know it, I, yeah. I know and I feel very profoundly the pull of our culture that's got seemingly so many smarter answers for the mm -hmm. human problem. And it's got so mm -hmm. many, they, they make sense. They've got, the, they've got the studies and the research behind them and it's something doable. We can, we can, we can fix this. But yet right. for, to say, well, the, the best way you can fix this, the best way that you can participate in this is to accept the life of the cross is um, it's 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 hard. I mean, that's still stupid to say. I realize that, but it, right. But it it is hard, and it yeah. and it's hard to accept that somehow that's actually how Christ calls us into this. And Tim Keller did this one sermon on um, on the um, transfiguration and why was he with Moses and Elijah, and he was talking with Moses about what it means to lead someone on exile. Probably it's just speculation, mm, but yeah lead on into exile into into exile from egypt and then into exile from this world as elijah you get these two powerful and that what he was about to do was to lead the great exodus through the red sea called death which means that in order for us to get to the promised land we all have to go with the messiah through the red mm -hmm. sea of death to get to the other side and it, it just it pulled this the cross for me into this narrative of journey that that death is actually the thing now that's been marked out as the chief way we join in the flesh of Christ for the sake of our own redemption. Mm. Um, and, and you're right, even there's little deaths and there's spiritual death of dying to self and all of these sorts of things captured in the physical death that we experience. Right. But, right. but that's the way so I mm. am the way that's the way. <laughs> that's, yeah. And that's the construction model. Yeah. And, and I think what Paul is doing here is saying, look what the death of Jesus has accomplished mm. And here's why you can enter into that, not because, not without fear, of course, we're human, not without anxieties and, mm -hmm. and, and all sorts of longings to be free from this sort of thing. But look at what happens at the end of it is mm -hmm. unity and, and fellowship with God face to face. And, and, and I'm, so it's just remarkable to think about what the death of Jesus accomplished in the world 
is we're invited into that. And now we are accomplishing, God is accomplishing in us and through us all mm. of the glory of what was done in Jesus. He's, mm. he's doing that in us in, in the way that we would never expect or imagine, but it's actually right there on all of the pages of scripture. And mm. so I, I yeah. was thinking that when Ferguson, Ferguson had this thing that really sent my head spinning off in a bunch of directions when I was reading some of the stuff that he said about Ephesians, but he said that the death of Christ effected a divine deconsecration of the Jerusalem temple. Mm. Mm. And at one level, you know, we would think, oh, wonderful, but that's not, I mean, can you imagine how, um, let, let's say in, in the history, if the Jews' temple was desecrated, as it was when um, a pig was, a, a, a sacrifice of a pig was offered right. at, at the end of when, when it was actually literally desecrated and, and torn down. Um, that is not, that doesn't feel good to <laughs> the, the conscientious Jews who are watching to see their temple deconsecrated. And right. it, the, the middle wall of partition torn down and then the veil of, of God that separated uh, God's presence from the rest of the people to see that torn open and torn in pieces that did mm. not feel good. And yeah, it's just that something that we said a moment ago about imagination. Mm. Um, we don't have an imagination for how the right. deconsecration of our lives through pain and suffering and sacrifice and death is doing something far more grand and glorious. Right. Yeah. And that goes to what Jesus had prayed for. And that is the unity of the people become the evidence Mm -hmm. of the work of the spirit. And and I know you've done a bit on this and and we have, I know, at least in my Sunday school, we had done it there too, a little bit trying to get at this idea of Jew and Gentile being so different um, and so at odds with one another Mm -hmm. profoundly that to see them together you'd say that that's, there's only one way to explain that. That's, right. that's the work of the spirit. And it right. seems like that's the evidence Jesus would prefer. You mm. say, well, why doesn't he come down and just tell people, look, I'm the savior. Look, I can, I can raise buildings and do whatever I want. Um, and Jesus says, I do that all the time. You're just not paying attention. The one, mm. the one proof of me being over the church is look at the unity of my people. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, sometimes that's indicated in a single congregation, not every congregation, you know, depending on where your planet has a chance to feel that kind of unity. Mm-hmm. But I do tell my kids when we do communion, I say, you know, you're taking communion with every saint since, since, you know, John and Peter and the mm-hmm. martyrs and mm-hmm. in Iraq and, you know, mm-hmm. and, and Africa and mm-hmm. Nigeria and, and like, mm-hmm. they're all, they're all looking at the same savior, holding the same blood mm-hmm. and the same body. Yeah. And the fact that we're all doing that together across yeah. time and space is the work of the spirit only. No, nothing yeah. else can explain that. Yeah, it is. It is beautiful and powerful. And one of those things that we ought to say more as we come to mm-hmm. the table mm-hmm. each week, that we not only are we proclaiming the Lord's death until he come, but this act is proclaiming it in languages that we have never heard and never yeah. will hear and just unbelievable it's amazing the, the unity that we have in jesus which is his craftsmanship and it is his workmanship yeah. and then and then that becomes the temple because it's what he's doing not what mm. we're doing and yeah. you know i think it ties all of that in really quite quite beautifully mm-hmm. um as we have to think through and you you gave us i think a little map for how we think of that this idea of and this is maybe a place where i'd like to land is is the start of all of this Mm-hmm. has to be, and, I, and you made a statement about this already in our conversation about, you know, really understanding our theology first, and here's where I think this, this really does hit home, is to realize that anything made with human hands is so contaminated with sin that it's just not a viable temple. Mm-hmm. It's, it can't. Whatever we can make can't be mm-hmm. enough, and this idea right. of alienation yeah. from God starts yeah. every one of our stories. That there's nothing inherent. We're not inherently capable, and you'd mentioned total depravity, Mm-hmm. Uh, in the last sermon, that, that this is our reality. We all start right. from a point of sin and sinfulness tainted, stained right down to our yeah. core that it requires God's work alone to do. So you started this sermon again with the idea of alienation. Yeah. And that's our universal condition, which I think is yeah. important. And I thought it was so, I mean, far be it from me to tell Paul how clever he is and him feel good about himself. <laughs> uh, but to me, the, 
just the brilliance of this letter where he starts in with the Gentiles. Therefore, remember Gentiles. That one time you Gentiles in the flesh and goes on to, you know, really unpack how far away they were from the covenant mm, promise. Without God in the world. Eh? Yeah, without without or strangers to the covenants of promise having no hope. And without God in the world. And and if you're not listening carefully, you think, yeah, take that, Gentiles. Uh, But all along, he's been mocking, not mocking, but pointing out the very same thing to the Jews by saying uh, the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. And and that idea that all, all shot throughout Paul's letters are circumcision is nothing but and and if it's made by human hands it was the circumcision of heart that passage from romans that i read for mm-hmm. us from romans 2 that says no one is for no one is a jew who is merely one outwardly but a jew inwardly um circumcision is a matter of the heart by the spirit not mm-hmm. by hands and and mm-hmm. just just beautiful as paul lays it out there for jew and gentile the absolute alienation and and uh, hopelessness without the blood right. of Christ. Yeah. Right. And hostility, the hostility owed us by the divine wrath mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. it's an uncomfortable doctrine these yeah. days. But it seems to me that if you can't start there, then you could easily replace the work of the spirit down the road with, well, we, we, we do fine work. You know what we do is fine, too. Our our hands really put to some really good work also. And that's only true because of the life of spirit. I think as Paul was getting at in Ephesians 2, those verses in 8 and 9, that this is a work done by him. Even, even our abilities are, are a work done by him through us. That it has yeah. to begin with this, this belief and doctrine of sin and who we are and God's holiness, that he bridges the gap and he's the one that starts the work alone. Which you've said for a while, I think in both sermons you've made it pretty clear, that if we're to accept the unity that Christ is doing, we have to begin with the fact that it's a universal sinful condition for all mm-hmm. of us and that this is the work of God alone, yeah. which is where, you know, high theology, I think becomes really, really practical. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's so clear as at, in Paul here, especially that the hostility is killed at the cross. And that if that isn't the place where you find hostility ended, if you find it in some other program, if you if you have mm-hmm. notions that you might end hostility in other right. ways, friend, it 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 just will not it will not bear the weight of evil and that's and right. That's right. It, it it won't bear the weight of the true evil and darkness. Um, as we we sort of talked about this in our last, last podcast, but we're going to get to it again in Ephesians six, where Paul mm-hmm. talks about um, the principalities and the we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but rulers, authorities, cosmic powers over this present darkness, spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Yeah. If anyway, we'll get to that. But yeah, but it's worth it's it's worth repeating or at least saying or and, acknowledging. And, yeah, because he's leading up to it here right, with right. this killing the hostility, which is what Paul talks about in Colossians, of course, where he makes a show of all those powers openly in the cross, triumphing over them. Right, right. Uh, yeah, that's right. And to and to to really accept that evil is far more evil than we think it is, to know that only the power of God is capable of destroying it down into our own hearts. Jesus really goes after the Pharisees in lots of ways to show exactly how subversive mm-hmm. and ugly and terrible it is, um, but it's something that I think in the modern time we've relegated to, you know, I don't know, physical or mental disorders, right? It's, it's, it's a misunderstanding of natural waves. disasters, natural, natural disasters, right? Evil. Yeah. yeah. We just, we just don't see it for what it really is. And mm-hmm. I, I love the way you just said that evil is of such weight. If we can say there's such weight, there's only one set of shoulders that could have borne it enough to yeah. destroy and defeat it. And that's yeah. Christ. So if we attempt every other measure, we'll, right. we'll, we'll do some, some relative good. Yeah. for the time being, but we're not going to bear the true weight of that evil. Um, that and, has to be Christ alone. And Dan, this brings us back to my um, contentious point of what a great apologetic horror films are. Because <laughs> right, if you right. have, if, admit, if, yeah. if, if you yeah, right. see this evil and you know and recognize this evil, this pervasive evil, then what do you do then? Right, right. Anyway, right. 
I, and, and you not, need to recognize I'm, it to appreciate yeah, what God's right, doing. Yeah, and I'm not commending all horror films <laughs> no. uh, anyway, but I think that's an interesting line to um, sort of walk out at some point. Yeah. So where do we where do we expect to to be um, this Sunday? Well, I I think what Paul's going to be doing uh, in the first bit of chapter three is talking about how all of this uh, is mystery and not Mm -hmm. um, not in the sense of, well, we don't really actually know what's going on, but the idea of all of this was hidden and now it's been revealed Mm -hmm. in Mm -hmm. Jesus. And so we'll we'll get to that the glorious good, what makes the gospel good news is that it is able to be proclaimed and shared that mm-hmm. what was hidden is now made plain for us. So. That was good. I think Jeff, Jeff uh, Baral in his intro to the sermon, yeah. a really good job of, of putting these two next to each other, a, a human solution and what you listen yeah. for, or just the proclam the proclaimed word of God as he does mm-hmm. it, which I thought was really, really wonderful. Yeah. I, I'd said something to him, um, yesterday I, I i was texting with him about something else and i just said how grateful i was to get up after that and preach the good mm-hmm. news like what a right, joy it right. was to get up behind that and say i mean i didn't connect it in that moment but to be thinking oh and here is that good news for right. us yeah right right good. now that was really lovely well thank you luke i look forward to next week and um, yes. after we get to unpack some of ephesians 3 Yep. Great. Thank you, Dan. Thanks for always leading us through a really thoughtful and engaging discussion. I'm grateful for you. Thank you. Thanks, Luke. Friends, thanks so much for joining us for this episode of Cross Reference, a podcast of Wheatland Presbyterian Church. You can learn more about our church and discover additional resources on our website, wheatlandpca.org.